You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Nathan Van Horn. I'm Matt. And I'm Gandalf. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about our show or to contact us directly, go online to our website, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Wow, Nathan, great job. Yeah, that wasn't the first take, but thank you for being gracious. <laughs> I feel like my world's turned upside down. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I know, this is how I feel when you took segues. Uh, so. Well, you know, I've, I've, already, I've taken a lot from you over That's the course right. of the show in responsibility, so I figured I'd throw you a bone. I, I think, I mean, let's say, no, I was about to say, this might be the first time someone other than me has done it, but no, when it was just you two, Matt did the intro one time. That's right. So, so this is episode 161. 161. And I have arrived. Uh, there's no going back. <laughs> we always tell people, start at the beginning of the podcast, but now it's like, well, no, just go to 161 where Nathan shows up. Yeah, par- part of me really wanted to throw y'all off and like just do my first name and make one of y'all last name guy. I didn't know who it would be. <laughs> um, it's so weird to like not have that cadence because then I, right when you were wrapping up and saying go to our website, I was like, do I start talking after this or do he does, does he do the int- like the pre the pre bible banter is that his job now or i don't know i don't know <laughs> but we are in still we are in this Genesis. is what happens when we record four episodes in one day yeah mm. we're getting a lot done this might be one of the most productive podcast days i think we had, had a fiver one time one time and we all know that no because that last fiver did not come out we deemed it uh, we deemed it unfit uh, okay so that's our limit four is our limit not worthy <laughs> you are unworthy <laughs> So if we ever have the question, how many can we get done in a, in a day? The answer is four, four maximum. Max. We still don't know if we keep the one we're doing right now. No, but, uh, I'm feeling it. Okay, <laughs> Matt's feeling it. Matt's this is going to be, no, man, any episode where I can talk about the Nephilim, it's going to be. Wait, are we day. talking about the Nephilim? We are totally talking I'm, about the Nephilim. I'm going to be honest with you listeners. This is in real time. I had no idea Matt was finding <laughs> a segue <laughs> to the Nephilim in this passage. Brother. I, I didn't even see it. And so... Let me help you. Let me help you. So, hey, since apparently uh, I'm going to be the one guiding this episode, um, Gandalf, why don't you read for us today? First of all, Nathan, give us a quick background of where we've left off on the story, and then Gandalf reads 17 through 21. Okay. When last we recorded, actually, it's all been in the same day. When last you heard our recordings, <laughs> right. um, Jacob and company were getting ready under the directorship of God. Uh, to leave Laban's camp. And so may as well plunder it on our way out. Mm. So <laughs> that's right. So All right. Off, 17 through 21. All right. This is Genesis 31, 17 through 21, as always from the ESV. Oh, now I know how you're doing the Nephilim thing, I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this and I'm going to see when, I, when I'm picking it up. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram to go to the land of Caden to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Armenian by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face Toward the hill country of Gilead. Mm. Okay, I see it. Okay, so where <laughs> is it, Gandalf? It's 
because the, the question is, well, what gods does Laban have? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if you were doing a Deuteronomy 32 thing there. Yeah, so Deuteronomy 32 combined with Genesis 6, so, so that the reader understands. So the Hebrew word here for household gods is teraphim, okay? So the, you hear the im in I there. Do hear it. the, the, it's the whole idea of plural. So we should be thinking here of little... Um, little tariffs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but just little statues and stuff like that. So um, I, I got to read a little bit of some work by um, a scholar um, that um, kind of is he he was one of um, Michael Heiser's students. Um, but of course, Michael is dead now. But um, his name is Joel Metamale. And he actually has written pretty extensively on this, and he finds there is connection with the whole idea of what teraphim are, that they're connected with the whole idea, and you, he connects it to Hittite archaeology, and if I remember the word correctly, it's carpus, it's the whole idea of this idol that was there to guard the entrance to holy space, or it was set around the foundations of the house. So one of the neat things about terror, most commonly when you think of idols in the ancient world, mm-hmm. you think of temples, perhaps palaces, you think of fixed statues. Large, yes. large objects. The interesting thing with terror from household idols is the portability. Yes. So you, you automatically have an irony in the passage. You have God who referred to himself in last week's episode as the God of Bethel, who even though Jacob is not in Bethel or in the promised land at all, God is still God where Jacob is. Meanwhile, he's doing a huge thing to Laban by taking his portable household gods with him on the journey, right? Yeah. So it's important for us to remember what idolatry is all about. So one of the things that we miss, again, post-enlightenment people, we are uh, what is the big deal about statue worship? I mean, you make the statue yourself or your granddad made it or whoever, your uncle. To quote the psalmist, they have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear. That's right. Now, it's important to note what they believed the statue to be. They did not believe that the statue itself was the God, was the God, but rather that it was a place, a vessel, yeah. Which could inhabit. Yes, could inhabit the God. So so is it like an invitation of that God to come into your to, house? To come into your house. And in this kind sense... Kind of like that, uh, like you think of the scene in Mulan at the beginning, yeah. where they call the ancestors and these yep. mm-hmm. statuesque features in the family shrine mm-hmm. suddenly come-ish, sort of. Okay, I right. So this whole idea was terrible. Minus Eddie Murphy voicing the dragon. <laughs> okay, so the whole idea... Uh, I'm sorry, idea. Idea of a... Teraphim, in this sense, these household gods would have been rather than just statues. Or actually, we were just talking a few minutes ago about the gladiator. There's Teraphim in the gladiator. You know when he's that's setting right. up the that's, little that's right household idols yeah. and he's praying. Um, so, but the, the, he's not praying to the statue. He's praying to the god whom he believes has inhabited the statue. So this is the way the ancient or, or beseeching to right. Yeah. So, the, but the ancients thought of these things. So, as a real spirit, like, had come to and localized in this object, and then this object was now used either in temples, in the household, 
um, that wherever this spirit goes, that by the way, is this is space. this is not terror. I mean, this is this is not modern, but this is certainly at least medieval. Right. Um, this is not terribly far removed from the logic around relics. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, sacred, sacred, sacred objects that receive unique divine empowerment by virtue of some mm-hmm. unique connection with the divine. Um, right. Uh, sorry, I keep detracting. No, no, no. That is that is that is very uh, a good connection. I hadn't thought about that one. But let's go back into the deep recesses of our mind to Genesis chapter six. I'm going to reread Genesis chapter six, the first four verses, just for a little um, rehash here. It says, "When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them." The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh and his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, remember them, or as spelled out in the Septuagint, simply the giants. Gigantes. Yeah were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old. Remember the word there is... Men of the name. Yeah, men of the name, but mighty men, Gaborim. Remember that? So men of the name and also mighty men. These are soldiers. These are warriors. All of that. So one of the things that we connected the dots to, um, in fact, um, I think it's... Amar Anas, that he did his PhD and he's done a lot of his stuff on what are unclean spirits in the New Testament. Why is it that Jesus considers a demon an unclean spirit? Why is it called an unclean? Are you spirit? going fully on like the Heiser train on that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that seems to be a, a good explanation yeah. uh, for me. And it's certain that um, it, essentially the idea is that the um, the unclean spirits are unclean because they have come from a dead body and also they are the um, the offspring of an unclean union in the sense of the sons of God. Yeah, so for Heiser, uh, Heiser essentially... And this is Annas' uh, position. Yeah, okay. So for Heiser, yeah. it's essentially disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Yes, that demons are the disembodied spirits of these Gibberim. And this is why, like, for instance, when you think of... Jesus in the land of the Gerasenes, we're we're legion, we're we're soldiers. Like it's it's not just many, it's it's we are we're soldiers. Okay, so it's this whole idea of these these mighty mighty warrior spirits that are that are left over. Now that's taken from the pseudepigraphal work of Enoch, and we've talked about that a yeah. lot before. And Enoch is not canonical. It's yeah. not canonical. So we're entering into a, that's a weird. Space. That's right. Yeah, I know. But we we've t- it's been just been a long time since we talked about it, but. It is quoted directly in the book of Jude. It's alluded to in other places in the New Testament, certainly for sure in Peter and Jude. But um, also it is found among the material of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in Qumran. Now, what what is something that we frequently forget is that there is not, we, we do not have copies of a full book of Enoch Um in in, in um, Aramaic, they, they just don't exist, or Greek. It, it's the the full work of Enoch is in Ethiopian. It, that's 
So like the book of Enoch we have today, is it, compl- is it completely reliable? Like we don't, we don't know if the book, first book of Enoch, the book of the, that contains the book of the watchers, is that in exactly what everything was said there or not. But from that pseudepigraphal work, the book of Enoch, and it is the, the spirits of the Nephilim are what become the demons. So Heiser in his work from uh, Deuteronomy 32, this is the Which, whole. Uh, so time out real quick. Yeah. Um, uh, on the one hand, you're, that's a somewhat speculative space, right? You, you don't have this big biblical treatise or explanation on the origins of demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, you have something that the Bible takes for granted that people of the time take for granted as a reality. And so it's not unfair to, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not unfair to try to navigate that space based on the biblical evidence you do have. Right. It, it's not a far-fetched case. It seems to make better sense of the language and the tradition of the time than the whole traditional story, which yeah. we were thought were taught that demons are simply fallen angels. Um, and that is just, again, a better understanding of the language used well, in the Bible my, to describe my, the unseen and, and, world. Well, my, my, my whole demons as fallen angels is both angels who have not fallen and have a, you know, a, a cameo on earth for lack of a better word, uh, and fallen angels, there is never the assumption of not being, uh, of, of being immaterial, even though they are mm-hmm. celestial. Does that make sense? Right. Um, so, uh, there's Whoa, not, there, yeah. there's, oh, not, there's yeah. not the assumption of being disembodied is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Like the, the angels can take on embodied form. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. The, man, I've never thought of that. Yeah. They don't, they don't need the little, the little guys, the little, there, the little, yeah. Eyes. There's always a physical, wow. there's always man, a physical Nathan. I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying that's the logic behind it. But yeah. I've never thought of that. That that is a good catch. So, let, so the I'm making Matt understand. agree with himself. Yeah. No. So, <laughs> no. so that the listener can understand is that angels frequently throughout Scripture take on physical form. Yeah. And but demons can't. That's yeah. I can't think of a time. Yeah, or at least that we know of. So, um, one of the things is that in Deuteronomy 30, 32, and that's where I figured. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is what, in Michael Heiser's work, he calls a lot about the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Um, there is a verse, we have talked about this in a previous episode. Yeah. Is it Babel? Like, it's just Babel? been a while. Yeah, it's, it's just been a while. But it, this is essentially the story of the call of Jacob, and it actually talks a little bit about Jacob in here, and this part of the story as well. But what's interesting, in verse number 17, this is Deuteronomy 32, and it says, They sacrificed to demons that were no gods to gods. They had never known to new gods that had come recently to whom your fathers never dreaded. So in sacrifice to demons, the word there for demons is the shadim. All right. Shadim. And it carries with it here, the idea of a territorial spirit, a territorial spirit. Okay. So let's bring, okay. A territorial spirit that, in at least according to verse 17, that was not Elohim, not a spirit born from above, but is so if we're if if Anas and Heiser are right that demons are the product of the dead Nephilim, if that's right, then you could make sense of the verse saying that they, the Israelites, sacrificed to the Shadim 
which are these territorial spirits, territorial spirits that were demons. They were inferior. By the way, demonion, like demon in, in Greek, just simply means inferior deity. So, um, so Israel sacrificed to these territorial spirits. And what Matamali connects with in his work is that there is a crossover between Shadim and Teraphim. Interesting. That, that territorial spirits. Yeah, I haven't read Anas or Matamali. Yeah, so. it's, I mean, they're making a case, okay? That, you know, it's yeah. one of those things. But um, that there is crossover between Shadim and Teraphim. So the territorial spirits are these demons that are roaming about looking for a place to inhabit, to be welcomed in. And it's these demons that so are so are supposed to inhabit the statues or whatever. So let's now, with that in mind, if that indeed is true, go back and think about what has just taken place. Jacob arose and he leaves. And what does Rachel do? Well, and let, let me throw in one possible. And I'm trying to, y'all, I'm trying to follow Matt's thing in real time. So this is, I'm, <laughs> I'm, this is not a leading question. This is me guessing into a space. Right. Uh, so let's rewind earlier in 32 to 32, 8 and 9 in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nations is their inheritance. What do you do if you're a lowercase e Elohim mm-hmm. and you don't have a place of time to you? You wander. Oh, yeah. So portability becomes a good thing if that's the yeah. way you're going. Yeah, I was not going to touch on that, but that's really interesting. Um, what, what, the, the whole idea of the Deuteronomy 32 worldview that Heiser gets into is that essentially when Babel took place and everybody went their own way, that the lowercase Elohim, so to speak, the, the, the sons of God, were assigned to different people groups. And these are the principalities and powers of the yeah, New exactly. Testament. This is like the Daniel 10 and there's, prince. There's uh, there's a lot to support that view. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the Shadim, though... Especially so, God sitting among the council of the gods. Right. So let's, And pronouncing judgment. Yeah. So let's go back, and let's go back to verse 17. They were sacrificing to Shadim that were not Elohim. Okay? They're sacrificing to... In, these inferior ones that are localized territorial spirits that are not this and to gods they had never known to new gods that had come recently. Now, isn't that strange? How do you become a new God? Aren't gods supposed to have, you know, be immortal? Certainly only God alone is eternal, but um, it's, it's just something to think about. But what Rachel is doing is she is, doing a couple of things. Number one is Matamale points out that when she takes the Shadim, she's taking it as insurance. The teraphim. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, thank you. Takes the teraphim. It's insurance in the sense of, well, if Yahweh doesn't come through, hmm. I do have these. And they haven't steered me wrong yet. So it's this whole idea of an insurance thing. Or I, I didn't know because I do know, I don't know a lot about teraphim. It's not something I explored, but I do know that they are particularly associated with divination. 
There's and if and if Laban has used that in the past to divide, oh man, he don't know where they're going. She stole she stole his tool set. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't can't, think about can't that. Can't build a bird. Find my iPhone is off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Can't, can't build a birdhouse without a hammer. You know, like it's that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, man. That's a good catch. So you're, you're th- so that's Matt, what I, that's you're really been my take on saying it, is yeah. one of the possibilities here. This is not a strike against Laban. This is a thing for Rachel. Rachel is doing this for herself or for her. Group. I think Rachel is doing it for herself. And also, once again, we have the woman in the story messing around with the serpent. Mm. And once again, we have the battle of the seed. But the battle of the seed is not as we talked about in the previous episode. For there to be hostility between the seed of woman and the seed of the serpent, they can't be one in one camp, one in the other. It is a battle taking place right here. So if you go back to Genesis 6, and if the seed, again, of the devil, if so to speak, um, and the, um, the, the seed of the devil... Um, if that's what we're using to process and understand that it was literally the sons of God and the daughters of men, and it produced this illicit union and offspring, and they made war on the people of God. Frankly, that is my position. I mean, it is going to be the Nephilim that are going to be the enemies of Israel, okay? They are going to be the giants that are going to prohibit the return to the land. That To me, that's, that's the war on the seed right there. I'm saying the teraphim right here is also more war on the seed. It's these, these right here, these teraphim are connected to the Nephilim, which are also connected to the Shadim, which is all a part of the same thing, which is this battle against the seed itself that goes back to Genesis 3.15. So I am the dot connector, but Matt is conspiracy guy. That's, (laughs) That's big stuff right there. We're going to rename this podcast to The Red Thread. Like, no, the Red war. Thread. It is. Um, I have not considered a lot of this before right now. Um, so they, they, they're taking it with them. They didn't, get, they didn't get a clean break from Laban. But they, they've, got a little, they've got a little bit of, of those other practices now carrying with them. Right. It goes back to what you're saying. What I'm saying with idolatry and all of this stuff, it all comes down to the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And it's, it's happening right within because, okay, you say, well, I don't accept any of that stuff. I don't, I don't think the Nephilim were even the sons of God and daughters of men and blood. Okay. Well, let's just forget all of that stuff. And let's just say it's idol worship versus the true worship of Yahweh. It's still, it is a battle mm. for the seed taking place right here. If it just sounds like no. And again, like you already have the reference uh, in the divination thing to the serpent thing. Yes. Like bare minimum, you have that lexical form. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, man, I, this is episode, this is not the episode I anticipated. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a guest at the party. Um, it is interesting because, you know, I, you know, I've been looking at this passage knowing that where I was going to focus on all the Exodus stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have stuff here that looks like that um, about uh, when he flees, what's what's the mark of like they're fleeing and not coming back. What do they do? 
they cross a body of water. That's very uh, that's right, very right. exodusy. Right. Um, the neat thing, and we won't get to this till next time, but the neat thing that I'm now rethinking for next time, in light of your take, is what's the significance that Laban, who in the past has been the diviner, mm-hmm. probably div- uh, doing divination with his teraphim. You're right. What's the interesting thing is that for the first time, God speaks directly to Laban, the right. Aramean, through a dream in verse 24. That's that's interesting uh, mm-hmm. because Laban no longer has anyone to consult him. Uh, right. if, if, if Matt's take is correct, like, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I think one of the things that we can know, if this sounds too crazy town, um, one of the things we know, though, is that all, all idolatrous worship goes back to Babel. Like, it is the, it's the mother of harlots. It is the, I mean, this is, this is revelation. Same, and same word for Babylon. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Babel and Babel. Well, and so, is, and th- my thing is like, bare minimum, like, this stuff can get weird quick. Like, if no you're a doubt. listener, it's weird. It's weird to me too. I didn't know we were talking about this. Um, but there are things. Say it one more time. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Time, but for real, there are things that you have to account for. Mm-hmm. And the Bible does have a capital E Elohim singular big mm-hmm. God. Right. Presiding and pronouncing judgment over lowercase g. Yeah, that's Psalm 82.1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have multiple scenes biblically that reinforce that, including the scenes that seem to navigate the space between God and the devil. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ezekiel 28 and others. Right. And so you have all of these evidences. And so the question is, do you read them all in isolation of each other? Or do you, as Matt uh, is doing, as Heiser and those guys, do you look for some, even if you're having to do some dot connecting, do you look to synthesize those passages? And mm-hmm. it ain't nothing. Right, right. <laughs> it ain't nothing. Yeah. Um, so it, all of this t- to say, because the war on the seed in the sense from Genesis 3.15, is which is, la- which is language that is maintained throughout the patriarchal narrative. Yes, it's humming in the background. That's what I'm getting at, that this is more than her just taking the household furniture. Something is humming in the background here, and it the war on the seed is exactly that. It is a conflict between the between the redemption that God is ultimately going to do through Christ and by the way what, what it's just where it gets really complicated who is it's already really complicated yeah but who is the seed so far of the woman in this story Abraham Abraham and his descendants no but in this particular story this one right here what character is the a direct line from the seed of promise Jacob Jacob Jacob, and guess whose wife is bringing in the seed of the serpent? Mm. Like it is the woman you gave me. Oh my goodness! Gracious. My goodness! <laughs> <laughs> my goodness! <laughs> my goodness! Okay, okay. <laughs> That's a really tie good back catch. to the very very beginning of this yeah. episode. My wow. my my. Mm. <laughs> My, my, man, because now I'm going to Solomon in 1 Kings 3. Oh, man. Bringing oh, Egypt into the camp. Bringing Egypt into the camp. My, 
My, my, my, my, my, my. This is real time. My, my, my. I'm thinking of, um, was it David? His wife had household idols, I believe, as well. Uh, which, which story are you thinking? He of? had more than one. Above, yeah, <laughs> more than one. I'm just recall. I'm recalling that there's a thing where it's in his household, and it's attributed to one of his one of his wives. That was I know it's certainly true of Solomon and his many wives. I, I can't remember if it's true of David off the top of my head. Um, we'll get no, there. It, we'll it, find it out. Is. And it's teraphim. No way. What's the verse? Read it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up. Um, I didn't even do a word search on it. It's, it's Michael. It's Gen- <gasps> oh, no way. Gentlemen, we're over time. Oh, man. At oh, least man. read this point right here. Make this point. No, it's 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 Michael and... The daughter of Saul. And she's got teraphim in the house. Man, I need to be thinking about some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the thing... I'm going to say a premature shalom and sign off early. <laughs> Listen to the thing you need to be thinking about is hearing more of these conversations every Tuesday morning. And the way you can do that is you can you can take us with you. You can take... I, I thought me doing the intro was going to be the weird part of this. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the podcast with you on your phone by liking and subscribing to the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast I, every I, Tuesday morning. I do want to say this closing comment. You don't have to make the Bible weird. The Bible just is weird. Yeah, on its own. Yeah, On its own. In the most beautiful sense of the word. Amen. Well, uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. And for now, I say have a great week. See you next time. Shalom. What, What an episode. Sparks flew.